The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. <clears throat> Today is the 12th of March 2019 and um, for the talk today um, I'm going to talk about daily practice. Um, next week at this time we'll be starting off our um, autumn term intensive and um, we'll be going with this for four weeks. This is something we do twice a year, um, usually in the autumn and in the spring um, and usually between three and five weeks long. And um, it's a, a set period, in other words a term, um, when we have a chance to experiment with our practice, especially our daily practice, um, with others, with the support of others um, and with the energy um, computer contributing to and receiving energy from the group. And in many ways this, this is a chance to work on, you could say on the kind of alignment part of um, our practice. Um, getting a regular practice going at home if we don't already have one or making our practice a bit more regular if we're maybe a bit shaky with it. Um, often people will increase the amount of sitting they're doing for the, for the um, period of the term intensive. It's the intensive part, intensifying what we do. Um, and along with that, in order to be able to do that, sometimes people will cut things out um, something has to give if, if we're, we're sort of aiming to sit more. Uh, but that's not always the most useful thing for people. Some people may feel pretty much in a, a very busy, uh, pressured, and so um, something for the term intensive which, which somehow relieves that pressure may be um, maybe the more skillful way to go. So there's lots of different ways one can um, work with this. Um, another one is is trying to align our daily lives more with our values. So that might not be so much to do with sitting, it might be, but it could also be to do with one of the precepts or one of the parameters. So it may be um, there may be some change in your life that you've really wanted to do and you haven't done it yet and you can get started on it um, in the term intensive and then um, hopefully keep going after it's finished. So deciding what to do very much involves kind of looking at our life, uh, seeing what needs shoring up, what needs um, cutting away and, um, and then being fairly realistic about, um, about what we're doing, not trying to do too much. Um, it's, it's a little bit like um, New Year's Eve re resolutions. If, you, if I hear somebody and their list is about this long, then I think, hmm, <laughs> may not actually get to all those things. Um, and there's research that, that we have, that our, our will is a little bit like a muscle and it gets stronger with, with exercise but it can also get, get tired <laughs> with too much exercise. So another part of, of the, 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 the term intensive is kind of being, being, being honest about where we're, where we're at and, and, and realistic stretching if stretching is what we need to do or loosening up if loosening up is what we need to do. And anyway, in, as, a, as a way to explore some of these uh, issues a little bit, I'm going to read from an article. Um, it's, um, it's by Diana Winston. It's called How to Meditate Every Day Even If You Would Rather Be Thrown in a Shark-Infested Ocean. And um, Diana Winston's um, uh, a, I guess you could say she's a Vipassana teacher, or that's her background. Um, she spent 
an, a year as a Buddhist nun in a Burmese monastery. And uh, this is from the back of her book, um, Wide Awake, which is a guide for teens, a meditation guide for teens. Um, she's been teaching since 1993, and in 1995 she founded the Buddhist Alliance for Social Engagement, which is a kind of um, um, urban Buddhist peace corps. And she also served at, at uh, one time as one of the um, associate directors of the BPF, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. So she's got a strong um, activist background. So now to the article. Um, and one of the first questions that, that she raises is why is it so hard to sit regularly? And um, this m may be a question that um, many of us have, have um, asked. She says, forget this culture that's devoted to busyness Forget the, th the fact that Americans report having 16.5 hours of leisure time weekly once work and household obligations are taken care of and the time is rapidly shrinking. Forget that many of us have to work two jobs with outrageous hours to make ends meet. We are up to our ears in work. Forget the fact that we are taught as a culture that busyness is a virtue and God forbid we should ever take a second for ourselves. Now, um, this is especially so, I think, in, in, in parts of America, this, this extreme busyness. But I think it's also fair to say that New Zealand is, is um, catching up or has already caught up. Um, there's no, um, no, uh, no, there's not a contrast the way there used to be. Um, when I first started going to the States, I would notice immediately on coming back, when I got to Auckland Airport, how people moved more slowly and were more mellow. Uh, it was really, really noticeable. Um, it's, not, it's not such a big contrast these days. And the, you know, for many years there's been a move towards working longer hours for many people and, uh, and the kind of motto of, of do more with less. So I think a lot of people are under a lot of pressure. And then of course, on top of that, that culture of work and pressure is just the, the, the cost of uh, living. That uh, is cost of, of especially of, of uh, providing oneself with housing. So these things are factors, the, the amount of time we have to work and, and all the other demands that are made, made upon us. She says, oh, and while we're at it, forget that Americans are swimming in massive TMI with barely a second to digest this tidal wave. Uh, TMI, too much information. And we could add here that we certainly are, are exposed to too much information, but some of the information they're exposed to um, is not even really information, it's just noise. And this is a big factor um, in, in um, the kind of mind that we have when we do come to, to uh, meditation practice. She says, so many of us are bombarded by television, radio, billboards, internet ads, um, email, blackberries, this dates the article a little bit, IMs, etc. Um, the one she, she, she doesn't mention here is social media, where everybody's business becomes our business a lot of the time. And of course there are, there are positive and negative sides to that. But um, it certainly puts the pressure on us when we're trying to find time and energy and attention for our sitting.
So then she lists she lists um, six more things that um, make it hard to meditate every day. And top of the list, and this goes with what she was saying about about um, about work and media. She says it's hard because meditation is the opposite of how we've been culturally conditioned. The, the culture is one of extroversion and and um, so when we, we're meditating, when we're doing sazen, um, we're going against, we, I think we could say now at least mainstream culture because now more and more people are, are wanting to meditate and, and wanting to work on themselves. So it's, it's um, there are the, these other currents which are definitely um, growing in strength. And, and so tapping into some of those, finding like-minded people is um, really helpful in this one so that we don't feel like we're some kind of crazy person in, in uh, wanting to uh, look into the mind. She says, it's hard because it's not necessarily yet a habit. Habits come easily. We just do them. New habits take work. So on top of going against the, the, the momentum or the, or the um, direction of the, the culture at large, we also find that we come up against our own habits of mind. And it really does take work um, just to, to, to turn around and swim against the, the current of our own uh, thoughts. Which is, after, which is, after all, internalized culture. I think in this regard, we also come up against this, this force that exists in our physiology of, of homeostasis, and it's something that, that comes from our biology and had good, good reasons for existing, to keep us alive, to keep our heart beating and our blood circulating and these sorts of things. But there's all also this strong kind of inertia that we have to face in uh, when we try and use the mind in a different way. Number three she gives is, it's hard because sometimes meditation can feel excruciatingly boring. Our lives are far more entertaining than knowing if a breath is long or short. There are um, so many ways we can entertain ourselves and we have those, those means so closely at hand. And we expect to be entertained. We expect there to be more and more um, instant results. And, and of course, this is very much at odds with what we, what we can um, expect to experience with meditation which um, takes its own time. It's not something we can, we can conjure up instantaneous concentration or peace or, or um, quiet mind or a, a vivid experience of the breath. It's something everybody I think has to face when as a meditator at times is boredom. We sort of have to go through the boredom barrier in a way. My teacher used to say, if, if you're bored, if you're bored, pay more attention. And it's true that as we, as we get more concentrated, as we get more concentrated with the breath, it becomes more interesting. It, we can savor it. It's hard because there are seemingly far more interesting and necessary things to do. We could watch TV, work out, write poetry, balance our checkbook, if we still had one, 
um, scrub the bathtub, and so on. If we're at home, if we're sitting at home, um, there are always other things that we could be doing. And uh, if we're not, not feeling particularly like sitting, we may get into this mode of, I'll just do this, and I'll just do that, and I'll just do that before I sit. I just click, tidy this up. I, this is something I get into. I have to have things tidied up or clean before I can sit. And if I'm not careful, I can, if I do two or three of those things, I may not may use up the time that I had, and, and then there's something else that I have to do. So we, we have to learn to um, just go to the mat, just, just get there, and not just not whittle away our time, our, our Zen, Zazen time. On the other hand, sometimes there are things that just need to be done, need to be taken care of. People we need to be with, or, or tasks that have deadlines. And if there are, then just to really do them, to get, get them done with energy, put ourselves into the task, and do it. It's hard because our brains are wired to be stimulated and it takes a tremendous effort to overcome our addiction to stimulation. Well, this is really just a continuation of um, the condi the, this, this conditioning we have. Um, all the, the force of... of um, advertising and um, all the media that we're exposed to. But along with this, this uh, uh, fact that our brains are wired this way is a longing to um, go beyond just um, stimulation of different kinds. We tire of that and we seek something something else. It's hard because sometimes we are going through intense emotions that we don't want to feel and nothing short of restraints are going to make us sit there and feel that grief. Nothing. Sometimes the thought of meditating makes us gag especially when we're having a difficult time in life. Yet, paradoxically, that's the best time to meditate. That's when we need it most. And it can be a whole range of different things that we might be coming up against. Big one for a lot of people is feelings of inadequacy. Um, when we sit, because the mind is, is more unruly than we would like, and so we think, we tell ourselves we're a hopeless sitter. We're no good at this. And it's, it it's, can be really hard for us to accept feeling inadequate. Or maybe it's, it's, um, anger or anxiety or sadness. We, we forget that, that there is in us this, this inherent power to heal. One, one teacher makes the analogy between our sitting when we we sit down on the mat, we, we, we straighten the spine, we relax the shoulders, um, open the chest, 
to do that we're we're just getting ourselves into the best possible position for healing it's like it's like um, when when you break a bone all you actually have to do is is get that bone set back lined up and then immobilized and the healing will happen without without our doing anything else and and our sitting is like that if we if we align our body and then settle the mind then there's enormous power in that we don't actually have to be feeling the right way we just sit with whatever feelings are arising and um, get out of the way as much as we can and then the feelings will pass through the difficult feelings we experience them we acknowledge them and then let them alone and they'll pass in their own time So Winston continues, if you don't meditate regularly, you have good excuses. You're like most people. It makes you wonder if you should even bother. But you should bother. You definitely should bother. And here's why. And so then she goes into into a list of reasons, good reasons for, for sitting. She says, in the light of busyness and other cultural factors I've mentioned, meditation is the ideal antidote. We should all be meditating in order to give ourselves a break from the incessant speed of our culture. In fact, it's a revolutionary act to sit. We could even say it's a kind of rebellion. When we're sitting, we're not buying anything. We're not consuming anything. The second point is, of a question why sit is, it's good for you. Study after study demonstrates scientifically that meditation reduces stress, lowers blood pressure, boosts the immune system and creates a general sense of well-being. So we can certainly understand our Zazen as um, an act of of self-compassion, of of taking care of ourselves. But but equally, we're, we're taking care of others when we sit. If we're if if um, we're drowning, we can't help save someone else who's drowning. So so um, working on ourselves, working on the mind, straightening the mind out, and becoming calmer, seeing things more clearly, all of these um, will will benefit people around us especially and uh, people we come into contact with third point meditation can be quite interesting we can gain insight into our mind hearts and bodies the way habits and patterns work what motivates us and what we care about Emptying the mind can also um, allow us to be creative. We, we're returning again and again to a kind of zero point when we sit. Sort of settling in the source. Along, along with this, in terms of, of creativity, is um, being willing to feel lost, 
not know quite where we're going. And this can be one of the things that, that keeps us off the mat because the, it can be a place of, 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 of feeling disoriented, un, un, unclear about where, where we're going. Going into, you'd say going into unknown territory. Um, Roshi sent me something this morning on uh, email um, and it was entitled the, the value of getting lost and um, it's from a, an article in the Atlantic from February the 21st called getting lost makes the brain go haywire and it's by Will Hunt and um, in the part that he sent me um, talking about different um, uh, things that creative people have said about about getting lost or turning into the unknown. To make great art, John Keats said, one must embrace disorientation and turn away from certainty. He called this negative capability. That is, when a man is capable of being in uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. That's, that's a quote from Keats. Thoreau, too, described lostness as a door into understanding your place in the world. Not until we are completely lost or turned around, he wrote, do we appreciate the vastness and strangeness of nature. Not till we are lost, in other words, not until we have lost the world, do we begin to find ourselves and realize where we are and the infinite extent of our relations. The second part is really important, the infinite extent of our relations. When we, when we quiet the mind down and, and start to settle, settle we um, become more aware of how, how deeply interconnected we are with each other and with all things. Later on in this, in this um, extract, the writer gets into the, the neuroscience of um, uh, spiritual experience. It says, in the late 1990s, a team of neuroscientists tracked the power of disorientation down into the physical trappings of our brain. And apparently this was, came from a study which was done at the University of Pennsylvania when they, they hooked up some um, Buddhist monks and some Franciscan nuns to um, MRI machines and um, found that there was the same area of the brain in both groups that became quiet when they were either praying or meditating. And um, this area is called the um, posterior superior parietal lobe um, was an area of the brain that usually was involved in um, nav navigating spatially. And they said, as far as the researchers could see, this experience of spiritual communion was intrinsically accompanied by the dulling of spatial perception. And um, this is maybe one of the reasons why we sit still when we meditate. Because when we're sitting still, we can forget about time and space. And this is, is we, we, we lose the, it's as if we, the edges of ourselves get blurred. The, uh, uh, what we perceive to be our edges melt away. Continuing on her answers to the question, why sit? It can teach us new skills, 
like my two personal favourites, equanimity and compassion. As we meditate, sitting through all aspects of experience, the good, the bad and the ugly, and we sit there with great calm, letting things come and go, we develop a balanced and non-reactive mind. This skill transfers out into our lives. We also develop a quality of loving acceptance and compassion as we notice again and again how poignant this human we call ourselves is. These are just, um, just two examples, we could say. Um, Another important one she mentions later actually also is wisdom, coming to just know our mind, to know ourselves. And along with this comes, comes a shift from being driven by our thoughts and feelings towards a freedom where we are more like the container for our thoughts and feelings rather than being pulled this way and that way by them. Number five, she says, it has been assumed that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but that turns out to be nonsense. The brain in any aged human can create new neural patterns. Brain development isn't just for kids anymore. The findings are striking. If we practice something, it will rewire our brains, creating a new neural pathway. It has to be repeated and willed practice. So in other words, coming back again and again and again when the mind wanders. This is what will rewire our brains. Forget the old refrain that will never change. We can change, absolutely. Therefore, we've got to meditate, preferably on a daily basis, in order to cultivate the wholesome states of mind that come through meditation. Calm, concentration, wisdom, equanimity and joy that inevitably become who we are. So, so having faith that we can cultivate the mind, this is, this is um, really important. But equally important to, to remind ourselves that the results will come in their own time. They don't necessarily come right when we want them to come. It's like a little bit like um, if you're watching a pot boiling and you keep taking the lid off to see how it's getting on, it's not going to be helpful. Rather just to, to keep that lid on and just be as regularly involved as you can be. We can't, we can't manufacture a particular state to get into with meditation. It's more just having the quality, having our effort be a quality effort as much as we can. As an aside, everything takes practice and through practice something can be mastered. And then she goes into a whole bunch of different things and how much it ta takes, how many hours it takes to achieve decent ability. And again, this is coming from some kind of uh, research. So the piano takes 450 hours of practice. I guess that's just so that you can sound okay. The violin t takes um, 1,200 hours um, and so on. She gives different different numbers. Um, then she asked the question, um, if you know, if a, if a harmonica takes six, uh, takes, uh, was it, for 50 hours to achieve a decent ability, how about mindfulness? How long do we have to do that? Now, I've, had, I've heard it said that mastery of something um, it takes 10,000 hours. What we practice will grow. If we want to cultivate a busy, anxious mind, practice busy anxiousness. If we want to cultivate a calm, centered mind, we need to practice that. Simple as that. Sure, we can try to practice those virtues throughout the day. 
but our daily sitting practice is a greenhouse of sorts. It's our daily intensive to focus in on, mould and remind our mind of states that will benefit of it. Benefit it. This is a good way of thinking of our, our sitting, that it's, um, it's the place where we have the best conditions, we're sitting still, we're able to relax the body, straighten the spine, and, and in these ideal conditions, it's like we can remind ourselves of what's possible and then take that, that memory, you could say, um, with us into the rest of the day. Who do you want to be? Oh no, one, one, one more we can say here too before I continue with her. Um, tips for daily practice. I would add another another one on to this, a number number seven to her own list in terms of why sit. That is probably the most pressing reason of all is we're all going to die. We don't know when and we don't know when our, our circumstances might might suddenly change. The fact that things are a certain way now is no guarantee that they'll be the same tomorrow. We live in an incredibly uncertain world. It can be it can be helpful sometimes to to do make a little kind of thought experiment about this. Imagine that you will definitely die in one year or two years or even five years. And then, then we can ask ourselves, what would we want to do with our time if that was the case? If we only had a certain amount of precious life energy left, what, what kind of, of momentum would we like to, to take with us as we, as we make a great leap into the beyond. It, it can actually be, this can be actually something we can do sometimes when we sit, is just bring to mind um, why we sit. She'll talk a little bit more about this later. But she ends up this section just saying, who do you want to be? A busy, anxious, obsessed, neurotic, resentful, unhappy, cog? Or a relaxed, peaceful, loving, compassionate, wise, happy human? It's a little bit, it's a little bit kind of um, crude to think in these terms because so often we're, we're a mixture of all these different things. And Really, what we're we're aiming for in our practice is um, to just accept whatever we are in any given moment, but but bring to that that moment as much awareness and as much intelligence and as much kindness as we can. So the last, in the last section of this, this article are her, her 10 suggestions for regular daily practice. And number one is be gentle on yourself. If you think you're a failure and berate yourself for missing a day or a week, meditation then becomes another excuse for self-hatred. Meditation training is like swimming upstream. Doable, but it takes some effort. Be forgiving, yet keep at it. It's a good, good motto. Be, be forgiving, yet keep at it. If we do develop this attitude, then we will also at the same time develop humility. 
and there's a kind of there's a kind of stability and power that comes out of humility, true humility, where we're we're at, um, at peace with ourselves. And we work with where we're at. Allow it to become a habit. Try to do it at the same time in the same place every day. The way to cul cultivate a habit is to actually do it. The more consistent you can be, the easier it is for the new grooves to be worn into your brain. Um, try to, this doing it at the same time in the same place. Um, so it becomes a part of your, your daily rhythm. Or maybe you have a, two different times you do it, depending on what's going on for, in your day. But developing, um, developing a, a, a rhythm really, really makes a difference. You don't have to think about it. You just get to the mat after you've taken a shower or, or before bed or whenever you, you decided to do the sitting. Review your day and pick a time to do it that makes sense. And this is this is also um, important that um, it's going to be different. Um, won't always be the same for everybody. Not everybody will be bright and and perky in the mornings. If if you're not, then then sit at some other time. Be willing to be flexible. If you miss your morning session, be creative. So we may, there may be, we may sleep in or something. Then maybe you can find a little time in your new lunch break to go for a walk, a quiet walk, or um, close the door of your office and sit in your office. So don't, don't be too upset if your routine is broken. It's going to be again and again, probably. Prioritize. You need to, sh to somehow insert into your brain that meditation is just as important as brushing your teeth, showering, eating. And, and we can look at, and mentioned this before, but looking at other things that we, that we do and, and seeing if there are ways that we can create more space for our sitting by um, not doing something. Set your intention. Ask yourself as you sit down, why am I meditating today? See what emerges. Then ask yourself, what are my deepest reasons for practice? Return to these motivations when the going gets tough. A liberated mind does, takes work and reminders. It can, when, when we're struggling, just being, reminding ourselves of why we do it can be really, really helpful. A liberated mind takes work and reminders. And the, and the deeper our motivation, the, the more it will help us through difficult times in our practice. And if we feel that our motivation is shallow, then um, exposing ourselves to things that will um, strengthen that motivation uh, can be helpful. Teachings, talks, reading particular Dharma books that inspire us, poetry, great art, music. These things can really um, bring us back to what is important in life, in our lives. Pick a doable amount of time. Don't strive for an hour, an hour unless it seems easy to you. 20 minutes to half an hour can work fine. Up it if that seems easy and fits in with your schedule. 
Even five minutes will activate those neural pathways, keep it going and get a new groove forming. Uh, she's right, even a very short amount of time, if we can really make it quality time where we, we, we make our, our best effort, can um, shift our mind. But we may also find that it takes a while to get settled. And so um, we need longer. And if we, feel, if we feel that, if we feel the need to sit more, then it'll just grow organically. If all else fails, get your sweet self on your cushion and take three breaths. <laughs> There's a lot of wisdom in this suggestion. Just if you if you if you're experiencing resistance, just to get yourself sit down and take three breaths. It's actually getting to the cushion that's often the hard the hard part. Once we're there, we rem we remember, almost like a muscle memory. We remember what um, how helpful it can be. Sometimes sitting truly feels impossible. Then use your designated time for some kind of spiritually supportive practice. Read a Dharma book, listen to a tape, write in your journal, go for a walk. Remember that the Buddha said there were four positions for, that were play, times or, or um, physical um, positions that one could meditate in. Sitting is only one of them, lying down, standing and walking are the others. So sometimes if we're just so restless we can't sit still, it can be helpful to walk or stand. If we're very, very sleepy, then to do the sitting, to do our zazen uh, practice standing up. Or if we're very tense, it can be helpful to do it lying down, supported position. So it's a matter of, of being um, creative, being, being um, flexible. And then her tenth one, um, when you screw up, be gentle on yourself. I already said this, but I'll say it again. It's a key for developing a regular practice. Being gentle on ourselves. This can't be this this can't be said enough. Um, and if we if we do find ourselves, you know, getting frustrated and and um, and judging ourselves harshly, um, remembering why we sit can help. We sit, we sit because we suffer and because others suffer. So whatever we can do to, to um, cultivate kindness is going to help. So that's a little bit on how to meditate every day, even if you would rather be thrown, in, thrown into a shark-infested ocean. And just to um, finish up, wanted to turn to some inspiring poetry to, to finish our talk. And um, these are some short extracts from, from the um, 13th century um, Sufi poet Rumi, who is, is, is full of teachings which we can apply to our practice. Just a, um, two or three very short verses. First one is called A Poem in a Letter. Before death takes away what you are given, give away what there is to give. No dead person grieves for his death. He mourns only what he didn't do. Why did I wait? Why did I not? Why did I neglect? I cannot think of better advice to send. I hope you like it. May you stay in your infinity.
another one, quietness. Inside this new love, die. Your way begins on the other side. Become the sky. Take an axe to the prison wall. Escape. Walk out like someone suddenly born into color. Do it now. You are covered with thick cloud. Slide out the side. Die and be quiet. Quietness is the surest sign that you have died. Your old life was a frantic running from silence. The speechless full moon comes out now. And last, the last one, and this is for, especially for people on breath practice. Don't let your throat tighten with fear. Take sips of breath all day and night before death closes your mouth. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.